Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, joining me today to talk about the Falcons ahead of this weekend's division matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is Kevin Knight. You can follow his stuff over at the Falcoholic, catch Falcoholic Live, Dirty Birds, and Brews, and find him on Twitter at Falcoholic Kevin. Kevin, what's up, man? Thank you so much. Yeah, just, you know, getting through another week of of prep here. We're getting into... I guess we're getting close to mid-December. It feels like the season's come and gone fast, and uh, we got a crucial stretch coming up here for the Falcons, where they could take the next step and, and finally do something, you know, worthwhile. Or you know, they could <laughs> fall back into obscurity, which I think we're all kind of bracing ourselves for that to, to inevitably happen. So we'll see if they do it or not. You know, maybe, maybe this year's different. Maybe this time, you know, fool me once, right? <laughs> true, true. Uh, I can't believe it's already December seventh as we record this. I mean, luckily, like the Falcons are still playing meaningful football in December, which will will take certainly, but. I know, you know, after the Arizona game, you, I believe it was the Arizona game, correct me if I'm wrong, but you fired up the the mock draft uh, machine and you had that ready going. You were fired up, kind of ready to turn the page for draft season, but the Falcons have kind of put a little halt on those plans. I mean, how are you feeling? I know you love the draft, but are you okay with with sticking around for some playoff talk for the next little while? Yeah, you know, I guess I'll just have to shelve the draft takes for a few. No, I'm I'm happy to not <laughs> to to put off the draft takes until January if possible. That would be great, just because you know there's a lot of months of talking about the draft, and uh, it's it's fun to be picking in a little bit of a different place. It seems like either they win the NFC South and they're picking probably in the late teens, early twenties, or we're picking eighth again. So uh, you know, th- three years in a row picking eighth, you know it. Some, the, the mock drafts start to run together. It's like, wait, was this last year's pick or this year's pick? I don't even remember. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with with uh, you know delaying some draft takes for for a couple of weeks if it means playoff playoff talk because we just we haven't gotten a lot of playoff talk. We gotten a lot of draft takes in over the past few years. Not not so much playoff talk. Well, luckily, that's what we get to dive into today. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about Josh Kendall's article over at the Athletic. It's kind of a five step plan uh, to get the Falcons into the postseason, and so. Kevin, I just want to walk through with you kind of step by step, talk about each of those five steps uh, and and share our thoughts on kind of whether or not it's feasible and whether or not we expect the Falcons to get it done and and reach the playoffs. Sound like a plan? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's break it down. Awesome. Well, before we get into that, I just have to say the holiday season is off and rolling. The NFL is in full stride. The NBA and NHL are hitting midseason form. And Bet Online is the number one destination for all of your sports wagering info. They have up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. And Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And it's not just the big four. Bet Online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played. Kevin, this is all the way from MMA to international soccer, dude. That is a a wide range right there. quite a spread, yeah. It is. It's quite a spread. So head to bet online today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that is B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. 
All right. So Kevin, I guess, you know, we should start with the first kind of step or the first, you know, thing that the Falcons need to accomplish in order to reach the postseason. And again, this is Josh Kendall's article up on The Athletic Now. I encourage everybody to uh, to go check that out. But the number one thing that he has written down, and, and it's pretty pertinent, I think, for this week especially, is to manage their way through injuries as kind of this season and the stretch run unfolds. The Falcons have been you know, very fortunate, I think, aside from a, a couple of big ones, Troy Anderson, Grady Jarrett, obviously, but they've kind of navigated the season really well injury-wise. Injury they've been, I think, conservative with the guys who have sustained in injuries and bringing them back, you know, notably kind of a John Robinson, the last time they played Tampa Bay, that wasn't even an injury, but clearly they wanted to be cautious. So that's worked for them. However, coming into this weekend's game, we've got a lot of uh, key players, I think, dealing with some injuries. Uh, Kayla McGarry, Nate Landman, David Onyemata, Drew Dahlman, um, to name a few, AJ Terrell, Jeff Okuda in the secondary. Um, so, what what are your thoughts on kind of the Falcons injury situation going into this Tampa Bay game and beyond? And which of those names I just read concerns you the most for this game? Yeah, I mean, Anyamata is the one that is the biggest deal because they already I lost Grady Jarrett. So they, they really can't afford. We, we saw what this pass rush <laughs> like without yeah. Anyamata against the Cardinals. The Cardinals have an awful interior offensive line. They, they were missing players. I mean, I they were starting guys that I'd literally never heard of before in the NFL. And I do quite a lot of draft preps. So I'm usually familiar with some of these random guys that end up starting, but it's non-existent without David Anyamata and Grady Jarrett. And the Bucks will take advantage. You know, they, they, that's a bad one to be down. Obviously, they. it looks like maybe they're, maybe they're going to get LaCale London back. And he was obviously someone who was contributing. So losing him and Grady uh, at the same time was especially rough. But at this stage, you know, Anyamad is definitely the big one. And then they don't really have anyone else behind Nate Lamb in a linebacker room. And I know Andre Smith played a couple snaps and the defense didn't fall apart. But he's he's a special <laughs> teams guy. Um, he, he does cover like pretty well. Uh, so that's kind of his thing. But... The Bucs have sort of reestablished their run game with, with Rashad White, finally realizing, oh, Rashad White's a good running back. You know, what a what a crazy idea. Uh, senior Bowl, Senior Bowl standout, Rashad White. But, you know, it, they're going to they're gonna run downhill and they're going to go after Andre Smith if he's the one out there. We did see that after Lehman left the game that they went to more like three safety looks and more DeMarco Helms and stuff like that. So maybe that's the, the tack they'll take. But to me, those are the two big ones. And then obviously on offense with, with Drew Dahlman, I believe he was maybe cited at practice today, at least in some capacity. So that might portend that he's going to be okay. You know, the Falcons traditionally very conservative on Wednesday. They basically hold anyone yeah. out that has anything. Um, but Thursday matters more. And it looked like Lamin and Anyamada and uh, Akuda were not out there specifically. And, um, you know, it, AJ Terrell has been practicing, I think, in a limited capacity, which typically means that he is progressing through the protocol, but it's still mm -hmm. that one's up in the air. So um, it it's very dicey. And yes, like they have to find a way to, to overcome these injuries against the Bucks. And the best way to do that would be to just score points on offense and not make your defense have to carry you every week. But um, they haven't really been able to do that much at all this season. So it, it's a it, it's a dicey situation with all these key players potentially missing this game. It is. And I mean, I think you're right to spotlight David Onyemata as kind of the, the key guy there. And Nate Lamon, too, if, if he's forced to miss time, that's kind of right up the, the spine of your defense. I, 
I totally agree. I think that they will go to more of those three safety looks. I think they were kind of trending in that direction anyway, but this just necessitates that a little bit more. My concern, though, as you highlighted, is just if teams decide, all right, we're going to run it right down your throat. The Falcons, I like you could see them getting a little bit creative given some of the personnel that they have on this defense. You know, the way that they went from Dean Pease's kind of three, four look to now a little bit more of a multiple. Like, could you pull a Lorenzo Carter back into a linebacker role in a pinch? Maybe could you throw, you know, Arnold Evacate? Like they've got some guys, but they're not the inside linebacker bodies that you would want. So even if they're able to fill kind of just that that spot with a body, with a beating heart, it may not be the best situationally. And, and it puts you certainly at a disadvantage against an offense. Yeah, that is kind of finding out that Prashad White can actually be a factor who who would have thunk it. Um, so that is is definitely a concern defensively, but offensively, you know, Drew Dahlman, if if he's unable to go, if Kayla McGarry's not able to go, like I, I feel pretty good about what Storm Norton has done, at least in his kind of filling in role. I Ryan Newsel, we would expect to be kind of that center if if Drew Dahlman goes, correct? Yeah, I, I would think so. It's it's time for the news flash. Yeah, exactly. But I, I just I worry about then the presence of somebody like Vita Vea creating a little bit of a ripple effect along that offensive line. If if your running backs who are staying in a pass protect work inside out as they should, then it's like, okay, if Vita Vea is able to just create pressure immediately, that's gonna leave you on an island against, you know, a Shaq Barrett, against an Antoine Winfield who may be blitzing from from the outside. Like that is where I start to see the the impact of this stuff really unfolding. Um, even if let's say the Falcons are down McGarry, let's say they're down, let's say they get Dalman back, let's say they're down on Yamada, let's say they are down Terrell, but they get Okuda back. Like, do you think this is still a winnable game if if half of these guys miss miss this one? I mean, it's it's definitely winnable. I mean, the, the Falcons, I mean, let's be honest that in this the last time these two teams played the falcons literally turned the ball over three times inside the 10 two of those times inside <laughs> the fair. one and they still won um and they just <laughs> beat the crap out of the bucks up and down the field and just coughed the ball up over and over and over again and the bucks still couldn't find a way to to overcome to to even take advantage of this game um the bucks are a very very flawed team and and they're dealing with their fair share of injuries as well. Vita Vea, you mentioned specifically, he's missed both practices now this week. Mm-hmm. Uh De- Devin White also. Levante David seems like he's going to be back, but some of their depth linebackers are also hurt and um you know, Vita Vea is such a key piece for their run defense when he's not there it falls off a cliff. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it really depends on if he plays because if he doesn't play then it's like, oh, well you're not too concerned. You know, Shaq Barrett's still good, but not as dominant as he has been. They don't really have the edge presence uh, at this stage. And, you know, Logan Hall and, and Kalaja Kansi, I think, have, have done good as pass rushers, but neither one's a particularly good run defender. So without Via, they become very small on the inside and and able to be taken advantage of. And one thing Ryan Newsel can do if he does have to play is run block. That That's definitely <laughs> something he's done well in the preseason. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, it, you know, I... I think maybe if we were ranking the likelihood of playing, Dolman's probably the most likely to play. Um, you know, McGarry, I don't think, is going to play. Uh, but like you said, Storm Norton has filled in pretty well. Um, he hasn't had to actually like start a full game at this point, but 
he's had to play a decent number of snaps. I know when he came in last time, he played basically the whole game. So, and yeah. he did this, did it this last time against the Jets, who have maybe the best and deepest edge rotation in the NFL. So, you know, he he's acquitted himself well. Um, you know, he's named Storm. I think guys that are named Storm, you know, that I mean, I don't. I feel like you have. <laughs> he to looks be like a Viking. Point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would be scared of that. So, you know, that they're gonna hopefully adjust the game plan to to shade more help to that side and um yeah i mean ultimately i think it comes down to the offense because the defense is going to be hurting um even if some of these guys play the defense is going to be hurting we know mike evans is, is going to go off against this team he always does um they're going to have to score points and they're going to have to do stuff on offense which to their credit they did do stuff on offense last time these two teams played they just didn't really score the points but ultimately it didn't matter so um yeah i mean i, I think it it can be overcome if the offense shows up and plays and the good news is it's at home where they have played less bad. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that can, that trend continues. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the offense a little bit because the second kind of section here for Josh Kendall's piece is to find some offensive consistency, right? In order for the Falcons to, we've seen such good defensive play and the defense ser- deserves so much credit for the Falcons being in the position that they're in. And yet it still feels like it might be too much to ask for this team to continue to play at such a high level defensively down the stretch. And so you would like to see the offense bump back up to being able to win you some games where, let's say, the defense allows one of those red zone touchdowns against New Orleans. Is Atlanta able to put that drive together like they were the first couple of weeks of the season when it counts and and get those points We did see in Tampa Bay the first time these two teams met, even though the Falcons only put 16 points on the board, as you mentioned, Kevin, like it should have been a whole lot more. They were in position really to potentially score 21 more points than they did in that game. And and we have not seen a Falcons offensive outburst like that this season. I mean, I might say it was the best game for Atlanta's offense against Tampa Bay the first time around if they had just scored those points. So Let's say, you know, Vita Vea has not practiced this week, so that was a great point by you. I mean, some of the Bucks defenders have not been healthy at this point in the season. Is this, do you expect to see kind of the, the same caliber of Atlanta's offense that we saw with hopefully those touchdowns attached? Or is this a different offense? Are they in a different rhythm, a different place than they were that first meeting when they did kind of seem to get everything clicking? What do you expect to see uh, from Atlanta's offense here? I mean, it, it's just tough because I, there's no consistency in that. I mean, Josh is absolutely on point there that the consistency has been the biggest issue. It, it, it doesn't seem like they can establish a consistent run game. It doesn't seem like they can establish a consistent pass game. Um, it seems like they're sort of just rolling the dice every week to come up with this game plan. And, um, you know, I, I certainly have my issues with the way they're, they're running things. I mean, I, I don't like the way, and I know that's another bullet point is Kyle Pitts later on. So we'll get to mm-hmm. that, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it, it's a very vanilla and sort of predictable offense. Like Bijan Robinson comes in the game, they're running outside zone. Um, and the jets were all over yeah. it from the very beginning. Um, and you know, I, I don't really know why you're trying to run halfback stretch in the end zone, you know, w- against a team that's as good as the Jets against that type of play. And um, it just seems like there's a lot of stubbornness with the play calling. And I don't really think the game plans have made a lot of sense. And it, it checks out the first half. This team is not good. They, they struggle really badly in the first half a lot on offense. And um, 
in the second half, to their credit, I think they do make good adjustments, but like I, I don't understand why the game plans going in are so poor. Um, it, you know, I think a lot of fans have pointed out, like, you know, this is a Jets team that has Quinn Williams and pretty much nothing else on the interior because Al Woods is hurt. So we should probably focus on running on to the inside. And we didn't really see that until the second half. Uh, you know, and the Falcons really struggled as a result. Um, but these are obvious things that pretty much anyone that can pull up PFF or watch even a little bit of Jets tape could tell you. So I, to me, it's like, well, why are we not like if any fan could pull up this information and tell you it, why I'm, I'm certain the coaching staff has access to this information. So it's not, you know, so the question is, why did they decide that actually we're not going to do this? We're going to do something else. So that that to me is the issue with the offensive consistency. And obviously there's problems with execution, too. Um, but the problems with execution seem to be across the board. So to me, again, it's like, well, if everyone's executing poorly, then where else do you point the finger? You know, so, um, you know, we need to see some improvements there for sure. And, and you know, Kendall's right, right on it, that it, the consistency has not been there and they're going to have to fix the offensive issues if they want to win the NFC South. That much is pretty clear. Yeah, he makes a note in in here where in weeks five through nine, the the Falcons offense averaged 392.4 yards. And in the three games since, it's been 281.3. Thank God that one is in there between the two, eight, and the three. Dangerous. Um, dangerous I know, right? Coming close. But but yeah, it it is kind of telling, I think, especially when you look at the running backs and the way they're used that it's becoming a, a bit obvious. And there have been some moments where, like I think back to that fourth and two against New Orleans, right? When they motion Caleb McGarry from the left tackle over to the other side to create the unbalanced look. And then it's like, all right, are they're going to run right to that op- open hole? That was my first thought in the press box. And what do they do? They they run that read option. And I like, I get, I just think that was an execution error. They didn't block it right. But still, when you're running kind of a, a trick play or at least a, a play with a little bit of a, some English on it, it, and I'm able to sit there and say, okay, here's what I think they're going to do. And then they do that thing. I shouldn't be sitting here being like, here's what I think they're going to do. And then they do that thing. And so when Bajan comes in and you're like, I think they're going to run an outside stretch zone because that's just kind of what they run with him or they run him out of the backfield, but not necessarily on these bubble routes. Like he's running usually vertically or an option. route. It's, it's just, you've seen the same things now. 13 weeks into the season. And if we're seeing some of the same things, you have to expect the defenses are. And so that is, is one of the, the interesting parts. I think about the, the coaching this year, because it's almost felt like in some of these games where they expect to win, they almost have a more conservative game plan. Like they just don't want to lose the game. And so I felt like against New York, it was, we're not worried about what they do. We're just going to focus on what, what we do and what our, our guys do best And so that's where you saw them kind of running their head against a wall a little bit because both people knew what they were trying to do. And they were almost like, well, we're still just going to do it because this is what Bajan does really well. And he's a good player. So we're just going to do this with him. I now that the Bucs have seen an iteration and they have not seen Bajan. So that is a big caveat that I think, you know, probably would lead me to believe that he is going to be a huge part of this game plan because he is the new wrinkle and a, a huge part of the offense. But I don't Do you expect the Falcons to go right back to the well with what worked the first time these two teams played? Or do you expect them to come out with, hey, it's a division game. We've got to win this one. So now we're kind of reaching into our bag of tricks. We play, maybe played it straight the first time around, but you're going to get something totally different. Or, hey, it worked. Let's go right back to it. What do you expect to see from Atlanta? 
yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't really know what to expect because I, I, I look at the sort of obvious stuff and they don't ever seem to do what the obvious thing would be. And I believe that. So what would you do? How would, how (laughs) would I would do? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you, you look at, first of all, who's playing. So if Vita is not playing, then that means that you go in with a run heavy game plan um, and you run play action off of it. And that's, you know, Jamel D may be out too. So this could easily be a, a Drake London game for this team. So, I mean, I think you, Mm -hmm. you go, you, you go basically after the weak points. So if there's no Vita Vea, then the Bucks interior defensive line is a problem. Uh, I think I, even if he's I, in there, you make yeah. sure, test well, that yeah. toe. See, like mm-hmm. see how how good he is. Injured, he hasn't practiced in two two straight days. So I mean, yeah, yeah. And the Bucks also like season long, still a top ten run defense. Last three games, last week against the Panthers, who are one of the worst running teams in the NFL. 133 yards and two touchdowns to Chuba Hubbard. Then against the Colts, 155 yards. Before that, 115 yards to the San Francisco 49ers, which actually not that bad um, considering it's the 49ers. But, you know, <laughs> this team is is very vulnerable. And if there's no Jamel Dean, you know, I think you you still have to take your shots to, to Drake London too. Um, but it's, I think it's really a balanced game plan this week. I, I think you, you don't go too far one way or the other, but I think we need to potentially not test them as much outside. Like I, I think if Vita Vey is gone, you you run right at Kalaja Kansi and Logan Hall because those two guys, they're great penetrators, but if you get hat on hat on them with with your guards, then they're they don't they don't hold up to the power game well. Um and I think this team has been really reluctant to give Bijan opportunities inside, which to me doesn't make sense because yes, he's a great outside zone runner, but there's not really any run that Bijan can't do. Like he's plenty physical. He's got plenty right. of size to succeed inside. And the nice thing about those inside runs is that if Bijan breaks a tackle on that linebacker that's crashing the gap, it could be a touchdown because that that's how it goes on the inside. Like it can be three yards or it can be 20 yards because, <laughs> you know, if someone plays the wrong gap or Bijan makes a safety miss, then it's a touchdown. Yeah. So like I would like to see him get more opportunities running inside because they just for whatever reason, they don't execute the outside zone particularly well. The tight end blocking has been poor. Um, even, you know, Parker Hesse in his first game back did a great job last week. Not so much. Um, you know, the Bucks. we know that they have the, the with their linebackers are healthy, they have good linebackers. You know, we'll see. Levante David's going to be back, I think. But yeah, I mean, I think you you test them more running up the middle and and you, you take shots off of play action and do what this offense is kind of designed to do. But um you know, I, I think the Bucks are very vulnerable against the pass. That's their clear weakness. But you just do you trust Desmond Ritter to put the ball in the air a bunch? Um, that's the big question. Um, so to me, it's like if you can run, you probably should. But if if you can't, then start airing it out. Uh, <laughs> figure figure out a way to get Kyle Pitts involved, I guess, which probably is the next point. But <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get right into him. Although I do agree, you know, we saw Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier be such a, an important factor in that first game. And and I think that that's probably we'll see a little bit more of that because they are the, the hammers in this offense and just kind of go right to, I'd love to see a lot of traps, a lot of uh, duo, a lot of stuff like that, just kind of more power football. Let's get to Kyle Pitts because that is the third point here in Josh Kendall's article on the athletic is you know, kind of figuring out, all right, what is Kyle Pitts at this point? He he mentions, you know, the MCL tear that ended his season last year. And even though Kyle Pitts has said he's he's healthy, has said, you know, that that's 
Like he's able to physically be out there, but is he back 100% from, you know, where we saw him as a rookie? Maybe not. It, maybe that explosiveness is just not there yet. Um, on Sunday, uh, Josh Menson mentions that Kyle Pitts only had 1.9 yards of separation. Now, part of that you can maybe attribute to a really good Jets defense, which maybe we have not done enough of in the aftermath of that win. But still, this is a player that you drafted fourth overall. He was brought here to be such an explosive element. You know, we're still seeing Jimmy Graham catching touchdowns for the Saints, and he's 86 years old. And yet Kyle Pitts, you know, is still kind of not the focal point of the offense. And I think what Josh is is asking here is, should he be? You know, if if Kyle Pitts is not that dynamic, game-changing player right now that you kind of drafted him to be, should he be getting, as, as he notes, a 19.3% of Atlanta's kind of target share? Should more of that be going Drake London's way? Should more of that be going to Van Jefferson? Although, you know, the returns there have not been great from what we all expected Van Jefferson to be or Kaderil Hodge or any of those other guys. So, Kevin, where are you at? Is Kyle Pitts too involved or is Kyle Pitts still not involved enough for your liking? Yeah, I, I don't think that Kyle Pitts is involved enough. And I, I do think that there's a, a very good chance that he's not 100% healthy. You know, uh, a lot of people aren't. But there are a lot of ways to be successful at tight end in the NFL. And you don't need to have Kyle Pitts at 100% of his elite tight end athleticism to be a successful tight end. Look around the NFL. There's plenty of guys that are running four sixes that are find, finding ways to catch and be, you know, effective tight end ones. Keenan in Allen. Yeah. You know, um, it, you don't need the athleticism to be off the charts to be successful. The issue with Kyle Pitts is that they're not scheming him open. They're not really scheming up any easy targets for him. And, and this is the criticisms of the passing game in Atlanta in general. They're, they're not creating space for guys. They're not giving any advantages to these players with the scheme. So if Kyle Pitts isn't 100% and he's not running away from someone, then he's not getting a lot of separation because the scheme is doing nothing to create separation for him or anyone else. So... um Kyle Pitts, like even if he's not 100%, which he's probably not, you know, those knee injuries are tough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even even if it's medically healthy, it takes a while. It takes a while to build the trust back. And you've seen it when when the ball is in play for Pitts, he typically comes down with some spectacular catches. And, you know, maybe he should be more of a possession style target right now just because I mean, I know against the Jets. He was open beating a corner, you know, on a, on a vertical route and Desmond Ritter threw it so far that it was basically like they probably could have flagged him for intentional grounding because it was so far overthrown. Um, the one dude, the one against DJ Reed, though, is still kind of I don't know. It, that chafes me a little bit because it was that one wasn't overthrown. That one was still there. And it's to me, maybe that's indicative of of Kyle Pitts not being the player that he was coming out of Florida because it seemed like, all right, he could have made a play on that ball and he just kind of didn't. But maybe that's because, like, kind of, I don't want to speculate, but just given running down the field full speed, you got to stop, kind of turn, go back, twist your body. Like, maybe he just wasn't very comfortable right there in that moment doing it. But that's kind of where I'm, I'm starting to see, hey, you were a top five draft pick. Like, that's a one-on-one -on -one ball. You are supposed to be this freakish player who can kind of win these downfield matchups, even against maybe a faster, smaller corner, but then to not even necessarily put the attempt up, like that's that's kind of where I start to then say, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders if he was running a clear out for somebody 
Um, and you know, he may have been, but the ball comes your way. Oh yeah. Sometimes it does. And you know, I, I think there's, it's obvious that there's frustration, uh, probably from multiple parties with, with his usage and, you know, Pitts needs to give a hundred percent effort, obviously, but you know, it, it, I, I think that there's a big problem with how he's being utilized. And I think that, that I just did, I, I refuse to believe that Kyle Pitts is not good. Like I, I I'm <laughs> I'm gonna look at all of the problems with this passing offense, all of the scheme schematic issues, all of the spacing issues, all of the failures mm-hmm. to to set this team up for success, and point my finger elsewhere other than Kyle Pitts. But look, I mean, he does have to play better. Everyone's got to play better in this offense. I mean, the execution all around is bad. Um, so we got to figure out a way to to get him more involved and get him some some more opportunities and. You know, maybe the speed isn't there for the vertical passing game, which is basically the only way that he's been successful with Arthur Smith, which is back in 2021, where they just chucked up deep balls to him, basically. Yeah. But there's plenty of ways to be successful as a tight end that don't force you to just run deep every play. There's, I mean, look at, look at, like, we've, we haven't seen Pitts run a single tight end leak this year. Like, so did, we, did you watch, <laughs> did you, I mean, yeah, you're talking about the Kyle Shanahan kind of like why yeah. throwback play. Yeah, yeah. That with the Levine toy Lolo special. Um, yeah. Yep. I, did you watch JT O'Sullivan's breakdown of Desmond Ritter against the saints on YouTube? I haven't seen it yet. No, I, I've seen like okay. clip, a couple of clips on it. Like I saw the so, Drake London one, but yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a really good moment there. And, and I think this is indicative of some of the frustrations, right? And this is actually on nobody. I, er, it is. It's maybe on the quarterback, but you know, I, I don't necessarily blame Desmond Ritter when everything's kind of firing, and I want him to be a little bit more of a, a schoolyard playmaker. And I think this was a play where he was that, but it comes at the to the detriment of Kyle Pitts because the play I'm talking about is actually the same play that Bajan ends up catching his touchdown pass on. It's him leaking out of the backfield. But what they have is they have Kyle Pitts basically block down the line, block, 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 block. And then after the play is developed for a beat, then he leaks out and he's just a slow kind of outlet on a on a little bit of a mesh route, but it's a delayed mesh. And so basically, if Bajan is not there, you want Desmond to come right back and find Kyle Pitts just right over the middle, vacated. Everybody else had moved and Kyle Pitts is kind of right there open. Instead, Desmond Ritter sees Bajan's not there and he tucks it and he just runs and he picks up. It's kind of that play where Kyle Pitts almost like tackled Desmond Ritter in the open field because <laughs> Kyle Pitts was like, all right, where do I go now? Cause I was supposed to get the ball. Yeah. Kyle Pitts is wide open. If he catches that, he may have had an outside chance of scoring from like the 26 yard line. That's the way things were setting up. So that's a situation where I'm like, I think the play was actually, it was either going to be, all right, like here's a touchdown shot to Bajan or come right back for an easy throw over the middle five yards, Kyle Pitts catch and run in space. And instead it's like, Kyle Pitts doesn't get the ball and Desmond Ritter scrambles. Still a good play, still get a first down, but that's a situation where I'm like, man, it kind of doesn't get any easier for Kyle Pitts than on that play where he is wide open and you just hate it for him because you're like, oh, like it's right there. And now we don't necessarily have to sit here and talk about where's Kyle Pitts? Why didn't he score a touch? It's like, that's a missed opportunity, but it's nobody's fault except the way the play developed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a multifaceted issue and uh, you know, Desmond Ritter's not played particularly well. I mean, I think we could say that it, it's been disappointing. Um, you know, the, obviously the turnovers are one thing, but making the clean reads is another big problem, and and getting through the progressions and all that stuff. 
there's been some small improvements, but yeah, I mean, it, ultimately it's been very underwhelming and the offense as a whole is very underwhelming. Even the run game, which was supposed to be the bread and butter was underwhelming. So everyone's underperforming. Everyone's probably <laughs> feeling the pressure. Um, and, and, you know, I, I assume there's frustration all around. I mean, these guys, it's not a lack of effort, but you know, frustration manifests itself in a lot of ways on the field and, and whether that's mistakes or, you know, maybe you think you're running a clear out where you're like the fourth option and you, you never get thrown the ball. And then all of a sudden the yeah. ball's coming uh, and you've, you've sort of let off the gas a little bit. Um, but you know, it, it it's frustrating to watch. Uh, and I think it's sort of a, a collective issue. I mean, this offense, I would, it, it's not a stat that you track, but I think if you look at it, like in terms of execution, this is like one of the worst offenses in the NFL. They just make little errors on every single play and it leads to things getting blown up. And, in the NFL, even a small error, like a tight end misses their block, that could be a tackle for loss that kills your drive. So, you know, the whole offense looks sloppy. And and again, this goes back to his other point of the offensive consistency. It's, yeah, they, they have to find a way to find consistency and, and play a clean game, which they haven't done at all. They have never played a clean game this yeah. entire season. Um, and, and to me, again, it's like your whole team is defense. You guys get a pass. But like <laughs> offense you know, this is an offensive head coach. This is an offensive team going into year three in the scheme. And it looks this sloppy to me. It's, it's a big indictment. And, and, you know, I, I think Smith has got to really show us something to, to inspire confidence over this final five. And he's got an opportunity to do so. You can finish strong, get a winning record, make the playoffs. Hopefully don't get blown out by the Cowboys or whoever. Uh, you know, there, there's an opportunity for Smith to do that. And, um, this team could have a lot of momentum going into next year but they they have to do it you know they have to actually execute and so far execution's been the problem well <laughs> it it definitely has i mean i've been thinking so much the last kind of like 2 weeks about the fact that we just haven't seen one game from this offense where it's like cool you put up 35 that's what it's supposed to look like now we at least know what the vision is right and I think we've seen the vision in fits and starts, right? The last drive against New Orleans when you just ran the ball down the team, that is one style that the Falcons would love to be able to play. Uh, you know, we've seen, I think, against Houston, a few of those drives where you are moving the ball through the air or Tampa Bay the first time around where you are. And it's like, that's what it's supposed to look like passing game wise. But it's just never there consistently. And at least as bad as some of the DQ Matt Ryan kind of ending of, of that run was, you still had like three or four games a year where the Falcons did go out and put up 28-32 on some teams. Now, they may have lost those games. Cough Dallas, cough Dallas. But at least you still saw that. And the fact that in any of these wins, like if that Houston win had been a blowout, are we sitting here saying, if they could just get back to that instead of where has that been or how do they find this or what's got... Like, we haven't even seen that blueprint so hopefully again we we maybe see some signs of that on sunday against a team that they have shown a little bit of offensive life against previously but let's before we get out of here really quickly look at the defensive side of the ball and you and i have very very little nitpicks i think about the way the defense has played they have been so awesome but one area and this is the fourth kind of point for for josh and his piece is that they need to stay away from explosive plays down the stretch he specifically kind of brings up the memory of Will Levis uh, and his four-touchdown performance. DeAndre Hopkins just kind of getting behind the Falcons consistently, consistently. And in in my recollection, there, there have been these times where the Falcons, and it's been kind of all throughout the season. You can go back to the Panthers game in week one and the Packers game in week two, and 
there have been some of these pockets where Atlanta's played man defense so well that somebody kind of comes in on that over route, that late mesh that's just kind of dragging a little bit deep and it's play action and the linebacker can't really find his guy in time and it's there and then maybe it goes right off the hands of the receiver. Or maybe somebody does come up and make a big play, but the Falcons have not been burned by as many explosive plays this season as I think they could have been. And yet they are still 15th in the league in explosive play percentage allowed, according to Josh's piece. So is this a true concern for you, Kevin? If if other teams, let's say if the Colts and Michael Pittman or Alec Pierce or Josh Downs or that kind of passing game, the Bears, DJ Moore, like, do you think there's a world where the Falcons, as good as their defense has played, we look back at the end of the season and go, man, some of these passing attacks really came alive against a secondary that we thought was really good for most of the season because these explosive plays have been there for teams. Maybe they just haven't been connecting on them as much as they could have. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, that is a true weakness of the defense. And most of it's due to mistakes. like they And, and a lot of it's zone coverage errors. Um, and Jeff Okuda is a big culprit here because he consistently fails to get depth in his cover two drops. And, you know, with that, that showed up last week over and over again. Um, and I, I don't know what the issue is because when you do something like that on that type of coverage, it seems like it's something you've been coached to do. Like cover the, cover the flat, cover the short area, but that leaves a, and, and maybe they're doing that because they trust Jesse Bates that much. Like they're like, they may, you can leave yeah. a big gap because we just trust Jesse Bates to get over there, but it's really hard for Jesse Bates to do. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of ground to cover even for an elite safety. So, you know, that maybe they're just willing to play that game and, and, you know, they want to bring that corner up a little bit closer to have a little bit of backup against some of the short routes or the quarterback scrambling or whatever. Yeah, I but, mean, there's a lot um, of defensive yeah. scheme is so hard. It's much Covered harder, it. I feel like, than offense just because there's it, it could be like this is supposed to be covered too, except we asked Jeff Okuda specifically to do this one thing because yeah. other offenses have never seen that. But like it, it can be hard. But I, I your point is so valid. Yeah, I mean, it, coverages are really difficult to diagnose. Even from all 22, sometimes you can get a general idea of what it's supposed to be, but you don't know. I mean, the, it could be cover two with the corner, you know, doing a delayed blitz and then he never got to it because the quarterback scrambled. And so it looks like this broken play, but you, yeah. like it, it, you can have a guess and typically you look at where the safeties are and that tells you a little bit, you know, and how people are manning up. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I literally it's called yeah. Ricardo Allen one off season. Cause I was just watching it and I was like, I need to know what the heck this is. Like I tried for so long <laughs> to figure it out. And fortunately he was like, all right, yeah, well I'll, I'll, like we're doing this. Here's this, here's what he messed up over here. And I was like, thank you so much. But it like, I never, ever on my own would have, would have been able to figure out what they were trying to do. And it's why if there's a busted coverage or something, like we are talking about, like maybe it's not always obvious who that was on. No, no. So it, it's entirely possible that since Akuda has been doing that so, so consistently that it really is a, it's what the coverage is asking for. And it's just a weakness of that particular coverage. Cause that's the other thing that people, that a lot of fans, casual fans, you know, even some more knowledgeable fans don't know is that there's always a coverage beater. Like if you're running mm -hmm. a coverage, there's always a play that will beat it. Uh, and it's it's a chess match. You know, it's the defense trying to correctly call a coverage to stop what they think the offense is going to do. And then it's the offense trying to call a play that's going to set their receivers up for success. So, you know, it's a chess match. And, and sometimes you just get that play that's right in, in that cover two window that the, the wide receiver is coming across there in that gap. And he's Garrett Wilson's wide open, you know, and it takes a good throw, obviously, there. But um, they have been vulnerable and I think there's been some zone coverage breakdowns and, you know, Richie Grant's been a culprit a lot of the time when he's mm -hmm. been in coverage. 
Um, so, you know, that we'll see uh, how it works out this week. But yeah, I mean, in the secondary in particular, I mean, they're going to be tested this week because I, I we did just get the uh, injury report um, for today. Oh, did we? We and, got a live. Good. Um, yeah. And Akuda was downgraded to DNP. So that's obviously a concern. He was limited yeah. on Wednesday. Um, Terrell is still limited, which is honestly fine. Um, I, he's practicing. He's probably going to play. Like if you're practicing coming up with concussion, if he gets upgraded to full on Friday, it's, he's probably cleared the protocol. So, um, it seems like Terrell's probably going to play, but, uh, you know, it's going to be Clark Phillips, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they're going to ask Terrell to play Mike Evans, uh, which he hasn't always done the best in that matchup, but I think that's um, the receiver that's given him the most problems in his yeah, career. Yeah. yeah. He, he gives a lot of people problems. He, to be dude, fair. he is so good. If, if <laughs> this year good. ultimately yeah. is just the Mike Evans, like adoration tour, I, it's a long yeah. time coming that dude, he, he is, yeah. he's the closest thing to Julio Jones that remains in this division. And, and it's, it's nice to see him just kind of keep doing it every single year. Yeah, just not against the Falcons, please. But just not against um, the Falcons. Maybe for my prize picks this week, you know, where I, I have Mike Evans going over 75, 74 and a half. Uh, so, you know, shout out. Uh, but just get the yards, not the touchdowns, and we'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did see Drew, Drew Dahlman get upgraded today. So that was good to see. Okay, good. So it seems like he might be on track. Um, but Nanman, Landman, not Nandman, wow. Landman, McGarry, and Anyamata uh, were all DNPs again. So, you know, those mm. are the guys that I would have the most concern about. But, Specifically, the the big plays, you know, it's the failure for the pass rush to finish. That's caused a lot of the big plays, right? They they get pressure, the quarterback escapes and makes a big play yep. happen. Um, that just the failure to generate a lot of pressure anyway, which honestly, they generate a fair amount of pressure. They're top 10 in pressure rate. They just don't get the sacks. Um, and then just the, the coverage breakdowns um, that happen when guys have time. Uh, and just, they've been sloppy in zone. I mean, they just kind of have. They're great. They're a great man coverage defense. But again, you, you can't just play only man because, like we were saying, there's man beaters that will, you know, they'll run picks. They'll they'll do things to really mess with your man coverage. So yep. you could be man heavy, but you have to mix in zone sometimes. And you know, zone also gives your guys like Jesse Bates a lot of opportunity to to make plays on the ball, and you want that too. But I think the combination of you know uh, a secondary that's playing together really for the first time, you know. So many new pieces here. You know, D. Alford and AJ Terrell and Richie Grant, really the only ones that were held over from the previous year because you got Akuda coming in, you got Jesse Bates coming in. And, and to their credit, I think they've melded well together, but there's still some, oh, yeah. some errors on the back end. And, you know, really, I think you can't really trust Richie Grant in coverage. So that leaves you with only one reliable <laughs> coverage safety, which is obviously problematic and probably going to be a big point of emphasis this offseason to get someone else in there across from Bates. Um, and then, you know, it, it's just the breakdowns in zone. So is that going to be a problem this week against the bucks entirely possible because that's, it's a good passing game and, you know, Baker Mayfield is probably going to throw a pick, but he's probably going to throw some, a touchdown too, and probably going to be to Mike Evans. So, you know, (laughs) that's been the problem with the bucks is that they can move the ball, but they just make a lot of mistakes and, um, you know, the defense isn't what it used to be. So get that you have, you have problems and, um, I just hope the Falcons don't allow too many explosive plays that that cause this game to to be an L because the it's absolutely critical that they win this one. This is probably the most important game until week seven, week eighteen against the Saints. So it certainly feels like it, it's one that can swing kind of the rest of the 
the remainder of the season kind of for good or for for bad uh, the same way that the Saints did but that's frankly any division game at this point and and that's the last point that Josh has here in his piece again go check it out it's on the athletic uh thank you Josh for letting us just crib your story for the uh, sake of this podcast at the last moment but yeah so dominating the division that they have three division games remaining they're three and0 in the NFC South if they win this week, and I, I believe their kind of playoff probability goes up to like 85%. Um, yes. And that is obvious, right? Because you would then be 4-0 in the division. All they have to do is win the NFC South, and they're in, and they would be in a great shape for that. This one being at home uh, matters a lot. The Falcons are 4-2 and two at home. They're putting a big emphasis. The crowd against the Saints was awesome this Sunday. Ovi's going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a little bit of an alumni game, so there should be awesome, like, atmosphere for that before the game hopefully people getting in seeing a lot of the the former greats for this team but historically it's been hard to to beat teams twice in a season right mm-hmm. i remember talking to a lot of the uh, opposing coaches every time we would get a chance before the uh, the matchups and and talk with them and that was a question i always like to ask you know like what what is it really like seeing a team you know twice and i remember the falcons played the saints kind of Two times in in a three week straight, it was like twenty one days, less than that. It was like two times in eighteen days or something, and it was, I had like the second time in history that they've played that close together. And you just have such familiarity, you know the personnel, but then knowing specifically that season how they want to employ those guys against you. Do you think that should the Falcons be coming into this one confident and kind of composed, knowing they're at home, knowing that they won this game? Or should they maybe be expecting, all right, now the Bucs know what we can do. They're fighting for their playoff life. You know, is this one easier in your mind because you've already done it or harder because now you have to do it again and Tampa Bay knows what you can do? Yeah, I mean, I think this one is is kind of for all the marbles. I think this will be a much more intense game. The first one was intense, but the Falcons really just rolled them at home. You know, rolled them on the road. Yeah, it was in, weird, in yeah. Bay, which, so again, the final score looks so close, but it, yeah, it yeah. felt at the time. Yeah. They dominated, other than just coughing the ball up four, four times or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> but at this point, you know, th- this is really the Bucs season because if they lose this game at that point, they will they will then be 3-1 and one in, in the division. Um or wait, let me see. They no, excuse me. They lost to Atlanta already. So they're they're if they win this game, they will tie Atlanta in terms of both divisional record and actual record. Three and, and one, six and six. Yep. Yep. So it'll it it creates a really rough situation. However, the Bucks do have a harder schedule the rest of the way um, than Atlanta. Much harder. Um, they have to go to Green Bay right after this, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a really difficult game for them to win. So if the Bucks lose this game. They're probably out because if they lose that game to Green Bay after this, they'll have yeah, lost five the divisional and nine. tiebreaker. The Falcons will have the sweep. Um, the Falcons will have a comfortable lead. And then, you know, they also have to play Jacksonville, who's probably going to be starting CJ Beathard. So, you know, that's not as daunting as it used to be, but they still have to play New Orleans. So, you know, whoever wins the New Orleans game, the Falcons win. So, I mean, that yeah. and that's a problem too because both the Bucks and the Saints have to contend with the fact that they're going to hand one of them one of them a loss and probably knock one of them out of the playoffs. Um, so, you know, the Bucks in particular, they've got a really tough rest of the way where they can't really afford any slips at this point. And if they lose this game, then their margin of error basically becomes zero unless the Falcons just shoot themselves in the foot like five times, which Probably going to happen at least once, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting Atlanta to win out, but um, you win this game and you give yourself breathing room for sure. So, 
you you know it, it's vital for them um you know there's two must win games left in Atlanta at New Orleans you know um but uh th- this one this this one is really I think what we'll learn a lot about this team if they lose this game I think it's kind of just same old Falcons right um they're they're at home against a team they dominated earlier in the season and they they cough up a loss and now the playoffs are in question and you you really have to win out now um you win and all of a sudden it's like you're you're on a three game winning streak you're building something yep. you you've swept the bucks for the first time in recent memory um and you're you're cruising so you know that's what the 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 storyline will be uh fair or not but they to me they have to prove themselves this season for me to have any confidence going into 2024 and i think it starts this week you know with winning a, a game that really should be considered a must win for their if they're serious about a playoff run I don't think I could have said it any better myself, so I'm not going to. Kevin, <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to join me today. Please uh, let everybody know what you got going on. Yeah, if you want to hear about more about this matchup, uh, there'll be a Falcons versus Bucks game preview coming out on Friday on Dirty Birds and Brews podcast and the Falcon YouTube channel. So check that out. Of course, we'll have our post game show coming out after the game as well. Uh, yeah, guys, you can follow me at Falcoholic Kevin. Check out falcoholic.com for all that written content. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's all I got going on. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, everybody, be sure to go check that out. Um, while you're at it, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Believe in Falcons. This video and all of our videos will be up there. Ovi and I will be back on Monday morning, bright and early, for you guys recapping what is hopefully another win. Um, but regardless, I'm sure we'll have stories from the game, uh, and it'll be a, a whole lot of fun. So, Again, thank you so much to Kevin Knight for taking the time to join me. As always, today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. We'll see you again bright and early Monday morning. But until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.